when you're working on something, you might have intentions that it's going to go one way. But if you're smart and the painting is talking to you about going a different way, and I say if you're smart and something interesting is happening, you'll stop and take it in and decide if it's worth, worth keeping or not. That's thin ice because you've never done that before. And you need to say to yourself, is this right? Does this work? Well, I'll tell you something. Back in 2018, I stopped and I left the, that big chunk of black there. And that picture became something much better, something stronger. And I did a bunch of them back in 2018 that had blots of black or sections of black. They went over like gangbusters. And now this current show that I have up at Gallery North is based on that idea. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 278th episode, I'm super excited to be joined by Doug Reyna, who I spoke with from Setauket, New York. We talk all about his background, cartooning, a career in local broadcasting, and of course, the development of his plein air works that eventually led to his most recent studio paintings and explore themes of the figure, architecture, landscape, and so much more. So we talk all about that coming up on the podcast. We also talk a bit about Doug's solo exhibition that's up right now at Gallery North through May 22nd. It's called Prolonged Perception in Setauket, New York, so be sure and check that out if you can. And of course, you can find more information about him on Studio Break and also, of course, his website, DougReyna.com. And of course, give him a follow on Instagram, Facebook, at DougReyna. In case you haven't heard, the Studio Break site is brand new and integrated in my website. So again, you can check that out by hitting Studio Break and you'll be taken to a landing page. You can go to Studio Break and, of course, check out all the archived episodes that you might have missed out on. Again, 12 seasons of episodes, convenient galleries so you can check out artists' work and, of course, listen to those interviews right there. You can also find us on Spotify, Google, Apple. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast as well and definitely give it a heart, give it a like, check it out out lots of great interviews there i'm also really excited to announce that our 2022 cedar break student competition is now open i am going to be the juror this year having gone through all of these archives with great artists i wanted to jury this exhibition so i'll be selecting five undergraduate ba bfa and five graduate ma mfa candidates once again, if you want to find out how to apply, go to studbreak.com, look for the competition link, and it's got all the information there. It's super easy. You submit a small fee and email your information over to Studio Break. So again, go there, check it out, and of course, help spread the word. If you know any good artists that should be applying or want to share their work, head on over there, Studio Break, competition page, you got this. Of course, if you want to follow Studio Break, just remember you can find us on Facebook, so please like our page there. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break, and of course on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. If you listen to the podcast, you likely know that I'm a painter, but I'm also a musician and became one, especially over the pandemic, and have a new EP out with my friends Ben Cohan and Brett Beery. It's been a labor of love for months and months we've been putting this together, but you can check it out by following our Instagram account at Golden Shadow Band. There's a link there for Lawn Dreams on Bandcamp. We're super excited about it, so we hope that you check it out and give it a listen. And if you're interested in more of my stuff, you can check it out at davidlinaway.com, which is also where studiobreak.com is now. We just kind of merged those two together. And of course, you can find me on social media. Follow me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, at David Linaway. All right. Super excited to be back doing the podcast. Very excited to introduce Doug Reyna. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Doug Reyna, how are you doing this afternoon? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much, David, for having me on the show. Yeah, I love it. You know, you were selected as one of our 2021 pro competition winners by Erica B. Hess. I, I love these opportunities because I get to, you know, discover new artists and, you know, let somebody else uh, choose these talented artists. So really excited to have you on to talk all about your paintings. And I know, again, you, you're somebody that uh, listened to the podcast maybe here and there. So, you know, I think you kind of know how this is going to go a little bit but i i want to especially kind of learn a little bit more about you so 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 you're from like the the new york area is that where you grew up in the kind of surrounding areas in new york yeah i grew up in this beautiful little spot called lloyd harbor which is on long island north shore about halfway out let's say okay 
And uh, my, my dad was an art professor at Nassau Community College, but he also made large-scale public work sculptures as well. We lived in this 1905 farmhouse kind of thing on three acres that had a separate building where his studio was. My mom was also an artist, but she had an art gallery for 13 years in Cold Spring Harbor, Gallery of Contemporary Crafts. Mm-hmm. So you get a sense, there's art all over the house. And they had art of their friends. They had friends who were artists. And as I was growing up, I was going with them to art shows. I have uh, one older brother who, you know, when you have an older brother that you look up to, I don't think he there's anything he can't do. But he really is so talented that he 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 can fix anything, fabricate anything. He was a toy designer. Now he makes paper making machines. His name mm-hmm. is Dave Reyna. He's famous for these paper making machines that he makes and sells worldwide for universities and artists to make their own paper interesting yeah he's an interesting guy now he got all of like the mechanical (laughs) uh know-how i don't know what i got but he got all that so it was a lot of fun growing up there and you know these sculptures that my dad would do they were like 40 feet long and my dad i was always amazed that he would just fabricate these things figure out how to install these things Uh, my brother being older he did a lot more than i did but I was there too, and we would we would go and uh, install and help him, and not look at the welding light when he was, you know, using the arc welder and grinding. Oh my God, that's why I don't think I'm a sculptor because it was so noisy and dirty and uh. Well, so so right on. It sounds like you had like a a super creative family. I would imagine then they weren't somebody that stalled out any kind of creative efforts or or just kind of maybe encouraged them. I would hope. You know, they were very interesting, my folks. They never, ever pushed me to do this or that. You know, they weren't heavy-handed with us. Mm-hmm. You know, they it was sort of, I don't know, maybe if it was just the times, the 60s and 70s, but uh, they were good because I could show them a drawing that I would be working on, and they, they would offer good, solid criticism about composition and this and that, and they were encouraging. The drawing was my my identity. Drawing or being creative as a little kid was what I felt at home with, whereas you wouldn't want me on your softball team or something mm-hmm. like that, because I, I just wasn't either that interested or maybe even that good at it. I don't know. But when it came to doing art, I was excited about it. For example, I remember, and this could be a boring story. You're welcome to cut it. I love like these. It. I love stories. Oh, <laughs> well, our high school was a mix between junior high and high school. It was all under one building. And when I got up to junior high, I was in seventh grade. And I noticed that the senior class was having an art show in the lobby. Of, it was based on superheroes or something cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the kind of mind that I had at that time was I went up to that art teacher and I said, I'd like to be in the show. I mean, who who does that? You know, I was this long, young little squirt and I <laughs> that felt at home to me. That felt like, yes, this is what one does. So I remember that as a as a thing. There was another story that when I was really young, my mother has scolded me. I must have been about three or four, four probably, mm-hmm. and uh, sent me to my room and I I drew a picture of myself running away and <laughs> slipped it under their door. And that that had great effect. <laughs> really. So I think at that young age, I realized, oh, there's a lot of horsepower in this uh, in this artwork. Sure. And and in terms of like drawing, I mean, were there things that you were drawn to? I love saying yeah. those phrases right after we're talking about drawing. But was it kind of like figurative stuff or fantasy or realistic stuff or... I have to say it was, um, I was smitten with, they had a couple of uh, Saul Steinberg books. They had a lot of art books, but Saul Steinberg was a cartoonist for The New Yorker. I loved Charles Adams. I loved Sam Gross. I loved The National Lampoon. I loved Robert Crumb. And all of these fellas, I got something from each one of them, especially the shading that Robert Crumb was doing. Uh, and so, you know, I think of myself as a person with kind of a fun, offbeat sense of humor. I, I thought, you know, cartooning was where I should go. I sold works to King Features Syndicate on a freelance basis. I got two published in The New Yorker back in the early 2000s. However, I think I'm a little too weird for the, like the New Yorker. I remember the cartoon editor at the time, Bob Mankoff, said, well, try to do things that are more cultural that's the things that are happening now because 
I mean, I, my best cartoons, really, I didn't plan them. They just sort of were, I would draw this and then an idea would come for that and it would be funny. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. like, oh, today I'm going to do a joke on, you know, living in a New York apartment because I don't know that, you know, so that didn't, sure. <laughs> it didn't work that well. But, but I mentioned the cartoons because in the images that I sent you, I don't know if you even knew about this, but I thought I'd include it. I have, I have made my own book of cartoons from the past 25 years of my sketchbooks. Yeah. That went over pretty well. People seemed to like it. And I, I was just so delighted that, that I could share all that because I like those drawings. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And so th was that kind of like a, like an impetus then to kind of study art a little bit more in high school? I know you, you know, maybe talked about this kind of like dual school of like <laughs> middle school slash high school or the, you know, the way that they had this art show in the hallway. Was that something that kind of encouraged you to kind of like pursue that in terms of taking classes or anything? Or was it always something that you kind of did, you know, kind of on your own and, and with the energy of all the people around you? I think, you know, it came easy to me, which is a blessing and a curse at the same time. Because it came easy, I didn't take it very seriously. You know, I was just sort of, uh, I must say, I'm kind of embarrassed. Like, I wish I could redo my youth a little bit <laughs> all over again, because I didn't take things quite as seriously as I should. I sort of just drifted down the river of life, you know. Mm -hmm. I remember not getting into purchase that, that college, because... I decided to do a portfolio like two weeks before it was due. That's how casual I was back then. Mm -hmm. I ended up going to Buff State for two years as, a, as an art student, but I was sort of being groomed into or was leaning into becoming an art teacher. And they wanted me to start student teaching. And I balked at that. So I dropped out. Eventually, I went to Emerson College because they had communication things like TV and radio. And as a little kid, I also like to put together funny audio tapes with sound effects. In fact, if people look up my YouTube channel now, they will still see that I like to create oddball music things mm -hmm. with my art. That's how that went. So I graduated Emerson College with a mass communication degree. Somehow I get an audition for a local news anchor job in my town. They had their own cable company Huntington Cable TV and they needed a news anchor I became the, the news anchor of all things <laughs> and so I was a co-anchor we had to produce a news show and that led to some other reporting jobs on the island ultimately I got a job in a corporate television situation at Computer Associates and I was a lot of people who knew me there my friends who knew me there they knew I was creative they knew I was always doing creative things and they would say what are you doing here you really, what are you doing here? Uh, you, you belong elsewhere. I knew they were right. I just didn't know how to put it together. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you something, Dave. It was so good that I, I did all those years of work because ultimately in 2006, uh, I, I got laid off. A lot of, They were doing a lot of layoffs. I had a stipend for all those years work. I had a retirement package, you know, that I, that I put together over the years. So when that layoff came and my wife and I talked about it that was the time I went full-time with my artwork so kind of like fill in the gaps a little bit so I mean was that something then where you were really kind of career driven and really didn't make a lot of art you know essentially during that that whole chunk of time until you know like around 2006 when this happened I did a lot of cartooning back then okay I was selling to um King Feature Syndicate and some you know those magazines where you could send in the single panel gag type things and I, as I said, in the early 2000s, I sold to The New Yorker, which I thought, oh, I'm on my way. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't sell again. You know, it just didn't it didn't work. It was so strange. And I found out that I'm not the first artist or first cartoonist to say that about The New Yorker, that that happens. Sometimes mm -hmm. you'll sell a couple. But in, in about 1994, I started painting. I had painted a little bit when I was a younger guy and I liked it. But in 1995, by now I'm I'm married and I'm a little more settled down, and I'm enjoying painting. And I, I got smitten by plein air painting. It was so much fun. I loved my French easel. I loved going off to paint. I, I was getting better and better at it. There were some local artists here who I thought were doing some really great work. And I thought, you know, I think I could do this. I had that, you know, that, that seventh grader confidence that <laughs> said, I think I can be part of this, this world. Sure. And... Boy, did I, did I need that. I must say, 
the river of life dropped me off on the right bank, the art bank. Nice, nice. Yeah. Is that when you also started to doing some workshops, I see, in terms of studying plein air painting, or was that... Yeah. Okay, cool. A couple of these artists offered like a weekend workshop. I didn't take many of them. I think I took like two or three. I, mm-hmm. I was kind of student that would saddle up right next to the teacher and see, oh, that's how he's making that slate blue. And Right, right. You know what I mean? If they didn't tell you how to make a sky... I was the guy that said, okay, how do you make a sky? Sure. And you're going to figure it out. Yeah. You have to go after what you need with this thing. So off I am. I'm I'm plein air painting. I'm starting to show in the local gallery, which I think disgruntled this one one weekend workshop teacher. I don't think he liked the fact that I was a student and now I'm sharing the wall with him. Sure. But that happens. But, But in any case, okay, so there's a lot of plein air painting. But I ran into this funny kind of a feeling. I knew I wanted to be a professional at this. And I kept thinking, you know, these planar paintings that I'm doing are okay. They're good. But they don't feel any different than a lot of other planar painters. Mm -hmm. I had one gallery director. He just passed away. His name was Peter Marcel. He was very direct. He said, the world doesn't need any more lighthouses and rowboats. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, some people might be offended when they they hear that, but that made sense to me. He said, you need to go paint things from your life. See, now that that would be something that you probably would have heard as a university student. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I and it took me. See how far behind I am? (laughs) Well, I don't don't know that that's the case, though. I mean, like, again, I think one of the things that's so interesting when somebody just brings up something that's so you know, just straightforward like that is it just sometimes clicks, you know, that that's all it all it needs to be, you know, yeah. something, yeah. something like those quirky, you know, kind of like ways that you kind of described cartooning, you know, that quirky sense of humor, you might find these kind of like quirky moments out there, you know, in terms yeah. of, you know, things that you just might observe. Again, I, I like painting plein air. I don't think that I have enough practice at it. And I certainly, you know, know that that's such a huge thing about it, you know, when you kind of get into that zone, you know, where you start kind of just making and making. And I would imagine, you know, just to kind of give you that as a, a prompt, if you will, to kind of be like, yeah, look at look at what's happening day by day. Look for look for things there. I would imagine that kind of just opened up your eyes to some of the things that you've been missing. Yes, it did. If you looked at my website and you started to see the work before 2006 and then how the work changed after 2006 when I when I heard that comment, it was a big shift and it was so much more fun because now I'm painting things that really are basically interesting little self-portraits of who I am and this is my life. Mm-hmm. These interesting, you know, interesting things that I'm finding. So was there like an initial like first painting that you made after that oh, yeah. that that you were like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, yes. it's, you know, this this person that I know or just this house that I walk past or a beach or you know, again, you've you've got a very eclectic sense of things that kind of draw you in. So, I mean, that could be a garbage can for all I know, you know. <laughs> and I painted those, yes. I know the feeling. Um, <laughs> in 2006, I painted a picture of my wife on one side of a road. And my, I guess he was probably about six or seven, my son, on the other side of the road at this trailer park. Mm-hmm. It's a very wide painting. My, my family has a place out in Montauk at this uh, mobile home. Mm-hmm park basically and it has a very beautiful hopper-esque quality to it the trailers are somewhat simplified but everything's painted so nicely that i can still look at that painting and admire it you know how sometimes you look at older work and you think okay i'm beyond that Mm -hmm. but this painting i think um had a lot of love and effort and attention went into it and it still it still gives back. It's a good one. I'll I'll make sure I send it to you if you'd like. I did find that painting you were talking about, by the way, of your wife and son. Ah. So so I'm looking at that, and you know, like one of the things that strikes me, you know, with kind of introducing it or kind of looking at that figurative element, there's the way to kind of connect it to your your personal life, you know. So there are observations of things that you're around, but again, it immediately changes the context, especially like you know, as you're kind of describing that painting. Um, of your wife and, and child, you know, you've got this really long format. So we kind of give like a context to all of these things. Yes, um, that's right. And and I would imagine then that you're kind of like then looking around more for the, for those types of things to kind of get energized with. Well, you know, 
when it comes to subject matter, it, it's nice if I can land on something that, that generates a feeling within me, has a charge, and yet is also a universal feeling. Mm-hmm. Like that, that picture of my wife and my son, they're on opposite sides of the street. You know, which is how sometimes it is when you're dealing with a family member or, you know, everyone has mm-hmm. their own view of life and it's not, it's not always the same as yours. No, absolutely. And, and I'm curious, you know, obviously like, you know, when, when folks visit your website, com, but you know, there's, there's lots of work there for folks to check out. I mean, we've got, you know, your studio work, you've got figurative paintings, you have all these plein air paintings. Was it something where then at the time you just kind of really dove into plein air and, you know, kind of making very short paintings, observations like on site? And then you also had these other bodies of work that you were kind of working on or? Well, a plein air painting, as I say, I needed to shift gears out of it. It it gave me some great things, Dave. It gave me color. It Mm -hmm. gave me light. It taught me how to paint shadows. It taught me how to paint fast and get energy in the brush. Mm-hmm. You know, it had a life in it that I'll always respect and love. But I took some classes. I, my mother, one of their friends was a fellow artist named Stan Brodsky, who was a terrific painter and an abstract painter. And he was teaching. And I took his class and like his other students, took his class over and over again because he was that good. Mm-hmm. Stan, all of a sudden, my plein air painting experience, fine. But what really Stan taught me was how interesting the surface of the canvas could be. Mm-hmm. You know, don't neglect that. Think about that. Think about ambiguity. Think about simplifying. Think about color modulation. All these things. The rest of the class, they were doing abstract work. I was okay at trying abstract work. See, I use the word trying mm-hmm. because... Because it wasn't something that I felt at home with. It, it felt like I was singing in another language that wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. But through Stan, I discover Richard Diebenkorn. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, right? And now, of course, Richard Diebenkorn's early abstracts are great. But that's not what I was interested in. It was those figurative works where I saw him using whatever colors he felt like he wanted to use for a sky. I, I saw him uh, finding compositions in the figurative representational things that he was painting, mm-hmm. yet those compositions hung together like an abstract painting. That just knocked me out. And, um, and also the broken color, that knocked me out. Now this Diebenkorn thing, what do I do with it? How do I digest it? How do I use what I like from him? I start thinking about that broken color, which I like. I like seeing color come through color. I start painting my surfaces black, not using black paint. I'm using ultramarine, transparent brown oxide, and alizarin. I make mm-hmm. a mix. And uh, that's a fun mix because you can lean it cooler or, or warmer, whatever. Mm-hmm. I learned from Stan. In fact, he, he liked the way I mixed it up, that I would mix it up for him. But I learned a medium recipe which uses cold wax as well as galgit and linseed oil and mineral spirits in a certain uh, proportions. Stan liked this stuff because you get no glare with the color on the surface of the canvas. As an abstract painter, he just wanted his color to be speaking clearly. He didn't want any glare. So I use that. And I, I love this because my blacks and my colors have a certain kind of velvety quality to them, a matte quality that I think is different and and interesting. Mm -hmm. So so I'm painting on this black surface. And as I'm making these paintings, this is about 2018. In fact, one of the pictures that I gave you is called the shack, I believe. It's uh, it's just simply shack, and it's got a um, a landscape format. It's wide, Mm -hmm. and it's of a shack. And you'll see that the bottom and even the staircase itself I left black. You know, as I say, I'm painting the painting on black. And when I started the painting, I had full intentions of going all the way, covering all the black. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Dave, when you're working on something, you might have intentions that it's going to go one way. But if you're smart and the painting is talking to you about going a different way, 
And I say, if you're smart and something interesting is happening, you'll stop and take it in and decide if it's worth, worth keeping or not. That's thin ice because mm -hmm. you've never done that before. And you need to say to yourself, is this right? Does this work? Well, I'll tell you something. Back in 2018, <laughs> I stopped and I left the, that big chunk of black there. And that picture became something much better, something stronger. And I did a bunch of them back in 2018 that had swaths of black or sections of black. Mm -hmm. They went over like gangbusters. And now this current show that I have up at Gallery North is based on that idea that the director loved those paintings and, and he said, let's make a show incorporating that. So all the paintings in the show were done on black and except for a couple of them, you'll see uh, big chunks of black that were left in there. You know, you were talking about surface and, you know, that's something that's really interesting to me in terms of the, the tactile part of the paint, but then there also looks like areas that are scraped away or even kind of like, you know, in that painting shack, the way that you kind of suggest something in that really kind of, kind of rich kind of black, but it's like, I don't know, it's again, exactly that mix of those colors that kind of gives it this sense that it has like a warmth in a way that if it was just straight black, it, it wouldn't. Yes. Um, yes. But it looks like, again, you're kind of like scraping out some of these forms a little bit to kind of suggest it and then kind of leave it a little bit more open to kind of, I don't know, have this really interesting interaction with these really rich kind of dark colors, but then also all the all the color variations that you have that you're kind of mixing and matching, shadows and, you know, the way that different elements of that shack, <laughs> you know, will look violet or, you know, look more like blue-green in shadow or more of like an ultramarine shadow. So, again, I love that interaction of all the color, you know, set against that black. But maybe talk a little bit about that, too, in terms of like surface and in terms of like the types of tools or ways that you kind of work. Are you oh, sure. kind of like using a lot of brushes, using a lot of palette knives and, and things like that? Maybe maybe talk a little about that. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is, again, pointing back to Corn, I all of a sudden decided, hey, I can be free. I can free myself. Now, I know a lot of artists out there are going to be rolling their eyes and saying, Doug, welcome to the party. You're about 500 <laughs> years late. But what I'm getting at is if you looked at the reference photo of that shack, that wasn't that sky wasn't that strange reddish lavender, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe that the water wasn't green. But I, I am now allowing myself much, much more freedom when it comes to deciding what I want where and how it's going to play with what's next to it. As far as tools go, some of the important tools in making these things, of course, there's the brushes and we can talk about those because some of them are better than others, but there's also the palette knife. Now, when you're working on a black surface and you're trying to paint the side of a building, an old building, especially something that's got some character and, and cracks and things and dings in it, that palette knife behaves much like a spackle knife would in your house. Mm -hmm. And it really mimics a wall and it leaves little gaps where the black can kind of come through. There's a, a painting, a vertical painting called Waiting, where the woman in a window, this mm -hmm. was all COVID time when I was feeling, you know, this is what we're living through. So that's what I painted. Sure. But that, that giant white wall I couldn't have done that as nicely with a brush. Mm -hmm. You know, you really can get the feeling of a structure with a, with a good palette knife. The other thing that I like, you know, we have mall sticks, right? You know what a mall stick is? No, I do not, actually. Clue me in. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure you use one. You just didn't know the name. I think it might be a German word, M-A-H-L, mall stick. It's a stick, a rod. At the end of it, they usually have some kind of like little leather ball cotton or something inside it. And artists traditionally would use it to uh, place the ball part on some dry part of the canvas, and then they could steady their hand mm -hmm. on the stick as they hold it with the other hand. Now, for me, since I'm doing a lot of st stuff with structure, I discovered that if I sharpen the back end of a brush, you know, in a pencil sharpener, mm -hmm. And I use my mall stick. If I, if I want to run a straight line, I'll put that mall stick right up next to the wet paint. And I can 
take that sharpened edge of the uh, back of the brush and pull a line. And because the surface is blackened to begin with, that'll leave like a little delicate dark line, mm -hmm. which is so helpful when trying to uh, make paint behave, uh, make it straight, make it move, make it a little bit more interesting. You can also use the mall stick to pull lines with the brush too, if you have a rigger brush or, you know, you can just go and get a nice straight line pretty quick with it. Mm -hmm. Oh man, and the palette knife is great for straight lines. That, that painting I'm talking about called Waiting, if you get a chance to look at the woman in the window, I think most of that window is made with a palette knife. Oh, wow. And it was real surprising. Not her, because she's all too curvy, mm -hmm. you know. But um, those straight lines, man, yeah, you can really lay it on nice with a palette knife. Yeah, and I love the scale of that, you know, window and the and the figure, you know, the way that she's kind of like popping out of it, kind of like bracing, yeah. you know, like waiting for something to happen. But I love the scale of it relative to the size of the painting because, again, you know, it's very small. You know, there's this big right. cavernous kind of wall, um, or at least massive wall. Maybe cavernous is not the right word. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, but I but I love how much space that kind of takes up. You know, it's like this kind of detail that you start to kind of notice. So I think that kind of quirkiness, you know, of kind of like bringing together some of these observations in a way that kind of shifts that painting. I mean, definitely is evident. You know. Oh yeah. And and I'm curious too, like, you know, in terms of scale, like how, how big is a painting like this one called Waiting? Well, my dear brother who lives in Brooklyn. Uh, finds all sorts of great things on the streets of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And he called me up and he said, I found these wonderful stretcher bars. They're 38 by 52s. Mm -hmm. He found like six of them, five or six of them. And they were all, you could tell that these were like made many years ago, but they were in great shape. And so uh, I, I had those. They drove my, my framer nuts. I have a friend who makes my frames <laughs> because they were two inches thick. Right. And that and that made it a little tricky for him to do his floater frame trick. But we did it. Um, yeah. So those are nice and big. A couple of these paintings that I gave you are on those stretcher bars, like the boys night out painting, the mm -hmm. four boys that, in the darkness, the isolation two painting, the epic garage sale with the deer. Mm -hmm. so those are the ones from, uh, from Brooklyn. What's it like then to kind of work through like a painting like waiting or boys night out in terms of like. You know, for somebody that wouldn't know, like, I mean, is this something that kind of gets broken up in stages over months? Is this is like something where uh, you're kind of focusing on one, uh, you know, in terms of the week? Or are you kind of switching things around, jumping from painting to painting? Or That's a great question. No, I'm stubborn. I want to work on one painting. <laughs> and I, 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 are you like this? Yeah, too? I I'm, just work on one. I'm totally like this. I try, I try to be able to jump around because <laughs> I think, you know, when you're trying to manage out your schedule, sometimes, you know, you might... You know, especially like as a teacher, kind of juggling some of these other responsibilities, there might be some times where you only have like an hour, you know, and it sometimes makes it more efficient. But yeah, I, I love that stubborn time. I would love to just sit and work on one thing, you know, until it's mm -hmm. done, you know. <laughs> um, right. So that's the case for you. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's one at a time. You know, look, look I, I have a funny feeling about plein air painting. I know if I were to go out and do a plein air painting, I kind of know it would look like a nice plein air painting. So I'm I'm not as excited about that as I am about this recent studio work where I can really craft something unusual and take my time and, mm -hmm. and really put the love into it that I want. However, I am interested in seeing, well, what new uh, direction could I go in in plein air painting? What could I take from my studio practice and bring outside? Mm -hmm. Well, and it kind of goes back to that idea of, you know, letting the painting kind of help dictate what you're going to do, yeah. you know, cause you got to be a little bit open-ended to that. And I think kind of, you know, using that, that idea of like a black kind of like ground, you know, for a painting like boys night out, there's also some kind of like these, you know, weird abstractions that you start kind of seeing, like in say like the lights in that painting, the, the, the red and yeah. the green light, the way that you might see it at night off in the distance, it kind of just, you know, blurs out a little bit. And I would imagine that that's kind of fun too. It's just kind of, oh yeah. you know, you start working through this and maybe you're like, oh, I'm going to finish this a little bit more, but then, you know, something happens, you know? I don't know if you might've uh, known this about me, but I have been teaching in my studio to, you know, I teach adults uh, oil painting, mm -hmm. what, what I know and the direction that I go in. 
I was lucky enough to receive two Pollock Krasner grants. Over, mm-hmm. I got one in 2014, and then I got one last year, I think, or the year before last year. I believe it was last year. Mm-hmm. And that has enabled me to have this wonderful studio on Main Street here in Setauket, New York. The reason I, I mention this is when I was about to begin this painting, that week I had taught my students, I had shown, I sometimes show them what other artists I like are doing that they might want to think about. And one of those artists was a guy named Carl Bretzky, mm-hmm. who has this theory about painting lights at night, that as the light fades into the darkness, the green or the red doesn't just get mixed with the darkness. Mm-hmm. Instead, it goes through the rainbow. The, the prismatic behavior that light does, right? So that red would, you know, go into like the blues or the, or the greens or whatever. Let's say it was a yellow light, it would get into orange and then red. And then, you know, it does this thing, this rainbow thing. Mm-hmm. And I was so lucky to have that information in my pocket because all of a sudden I'm painting this picture and I and it really made those lights work much better than I think I would have done had I not stumbled upon that guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I just love those little details, you know, that you start kind of pick it up in this format. I love that about it, you know, and again, the way that you kind of capture that kind of sense of like night light, you know, the way that you think of like an overhead light. And I'm obviously talking about this boys night out painting. Yeah. Again, it's just, it's really beautiful. And it's great how you can totally shift to something, you know, like something totally different in terms of time of day or something that's more banal. Yeah. Is it something, too, where, you know, you'll finish a figure of painting and then you want to change it up and, and do something else? Maybe there's been other things that you've been thinking about doing or pursuing. You know, I'm always fascinated, you know, why artists especially kind of start making different decisions and go different directions. My problem with my career is that, and this is true with my life probably, is that I was all over the place. I could be happy doing a landscape painting. I could be happy doing a figurative painting. I could be happy experimenting with mono, uh, mono prints. And it's only until recently have I realized the power and the education you can get from doing a body of work. Mm -hmm. And if I could talk to my younger self, (laughs) I would give him a lot of advice. But among that would be, look, just work and don't worry about, you know, trying to create a style. All you have to do is make a body of work. Mm-hmm. Get, get through it. Then when you're done with it, go make another body of work. Try not to be all over the place if you can avoid it, because I think that made it difficult for gallery directors mm-hmm. to know what to trust in me, know what to do with me. Yeah, I was good, but I was good at what? Making one-offs. Right. Sure. Um, so... See, now that's, again, something you probably learned day one in the university. I, I doubt it. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like as I talk to artists, there's so many, you know, like there's so many different ways and routes for everybody now, you know? Yeah, I know. So I really think, it, you know, like you couldn't be who you are if you didn't do what you did before, you know, or whatever that path was. So for me, I think it's all, you know, kind of fair game. I guess so. Yeah, I think that's fair. So like to kind of think about these these studio paintings, then are, are you taking a lot of photographs and, and using them to kind of inform the, the paintings? Absolutely. I have an iPhone 12 plus. Okay. And it is invaluable. Now, the fun thing about these paintings is that I'm looking for structure. I'm going into strange, sketchy places like behind, you know, closed down buildings and restaurants and supermarkets, odd places, places that have character, places that if you were like a 12 year old kid, you'd be all over, you know, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, what I really need to find is I not only do I need to find structure, but I need to find shadows. I need to find interesting color. The color is not as important because I'm changing the color a lot of time. Like there's a picture that I gave you called isolation Two. Mm-hmm. and it's of a loading bay area with a gentleman sitting there, and it's up behind my bank up in Port Jefferson. And now, Dave, that wasn't a blue building. For some reason, that day when I started painting those walls, that's how it went. You know, that's what I felt, and I, I wanted to express that feeling, and I think the blue maybe goes along with the feeling of that fellow, you know, mm-hmm. more so than a hot tan color. Yeah. When, when you do your painting, I know since you're doing architecture, I, lo- I really like your paintings a lot. Oh, thank you. And you, you were doing something I thought was really interesting. Are you painting on a grained wood surface? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
I think it's brilliant. That's good. Well, it's it's funny because you were talking about this idea of, you know, you have all this black underpainting. And I, you know, know for myself, it was very similar in that, like, there was a period of time where, like, I would get to this point and I'd have, you know, part of this canvas at the time just showing through. And I would yeah. just be like, ah, oh, it, it kind of feels done, but I, I want to keep going with this, you know? And it was just very much the same kind of impulse. I really loved that kind of visual, that abstract kind of language. And then it was like over time that I started kind of leaving more of that exposed, you know? And I think it works and kind of behaves the same way for me with the wood. You know, there's like an element that I don't know how it's going to interact with the uh, image transfer or the the oil paint. And you kind of get this tension, you know, by areas that are kind of flat versus areas that are, um, you know, more well-defined through the, through the paint. And so, you know, I really like that. And, you know, again, I kind of think there's a lot of that going on in your work too, when you're kind of incorporating these really, you know, rich blacks that kind of abstract something out or, you know, in some cases, like you kind of have the figure kind of removed entirely and they become like a black figure. Yeah. Uh, you know what the paintings, not that I went out of my way and said, I'm going to do this painting because it reminds me of this. But as I look at this, these paintings, I, I get the feeling, Dave, that they're almost like paintings of a memory or memories where your brain says, okay, I'm going to fill in so many parts of what you need to remember. You don't need to remember the street, though. I'll keep that out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. I, I thought that's kind of how they feel. They're almost dreamlike now. They're, they've got this ambiguity that I, I think is needed. And, and getting back to what you just said about your work, I wonder if in the, in the progression of one's life as a painter, you're kind of painting what you see. You're almost like a reporter. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, you fall in love with accidents and chaos and unexpected, beautiful things that you didn't plan, but they're there. And you're smart enough now to say, I'm going to leave that alone. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a shift. That's a shift from the one type of painter into, into a, I think, an artist, a real artist. No, absolutely. And again, I think it's, you know, interesting because some of them obviously kind of, I don't want to say more brave, but you know, you kind of, you follow the impulse a little bit more. Like you have another painting that, that we um, had kind of looked at, or you had sent me called a Florida couple. Oh yeah. Where again, the, the, that figurative element is entirely removed and it kind of almost allows the viewer to kind of imagine themselves in this position. Right. But maybe, maybe talk a little about this one in terms of you know, like, again, I'm always interested in how any, <laughs> how any painting will kind of shift or change. So is there any kind of particular story about this one in terms of like where it came from or? It came from a recent trip to Florida where I went to an antique store that I like to visit whenever I'm down there. And they have this opened suitcase full of ancient photographs with a silly little note on it that says, find a, yourself a new family. Mm hmm. And so I cherry picked, I went through all those photos and I cherry picked about 25 of them that showed people, most of them were black and white and and they, and they were, they were not posed shots. They were people just being people at uh, drinking beers at a picnic, playing guitar, blah, blah, blah. So I want to do something with that. This picture was this kind of like 1961 Florida vibe picture with those weird colors Mm -hmm. and the couple they, the couple was so charming. They were so happy and they had these great <laughs> clothes. And even the white border around the photograph had some ink written on it that said, you know, something funny or that, uh, about their trip. That I thought, oh, I'll incorporate that. I thought I had the whole thing figured out before I started. Mm-hmm. And, and here you can see how the painting said, no, I want you to go in this direction. And and I, I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna paint the people, and I'm not gonna paint the table, and I'm not gonna paint in the, the chair. I'll leave the window black, and let's see how it stands. And, and it was good. I thought, okay, this is pretty good. Now the funny thing was, is at the opening, at the, this is at the Gallery North show. A friend of mine, who's another artist, he said to me, all right, tell me about this painting. He has this kind of gruff voice. Tell me about this painting. <laughs> And that puts you back on your heels as an artist, right? Whenever someone says that to you. Sure. Because who knows, really? <laughs> but luckily, he did this. He said, all right, I'll tell you about this painting. <laughs> 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 he 
And then he proceeded to tell me all about this painting, how when you go to Florida, you disappear and your life is over. And, blah, blah. and I thought, boy, that's beautiful. I wish I had thought of that, but I didn't, you know. No, I, I love I love that. You know, there's that universality, you know, aspect to your work, I think. You know, it's about like there's a lot of like everyday kind of experiences. And I'm always interested in that with with people looking at art because it kind of, you know, gives them a place to find their way in there, you know, and kind of in the same way that you were kind of talking a little, little while ago about that idea of memory, you know, that could be connected through color, the way it reminds you of like somebody's porch or like, you know, there's, there's a painting that I'm thinking of specifically in my archive, you know, that reminds me of my grandmother's house. And I think I literally like entitled it like rock candy red. Yeah. At the time I was really kind of informed from, paint chip colors because because i was a framer but like i just thought about like oh she had this you know she always had hard candy and she had this covered kind of like carport and you know there's just a a color relationship to all of that that just kind of drew me back to that memory and so i think that's something that's so accessible with your work yeah i like that allows people to kind of think about that you know the same way that like if i look at a painting like behind the curry club you know i I feel like I see those types of things, you know, those, those moments that people miss and I connect to all those colors and yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to kind of bring those up for people to see that, you know, they might, they might miss that. I don't know. As I do this more and more, the work gets honed down to entertain not only just me, but my, my arty friends, my mm-hmm. artistic friends, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think ultimately sure. that's what's going to happen. Like, like the fact that you like this, this behind the curry club picture, I, I, I like that. And I think, you like it because you're a fellow artist. You're looking at it because of the shapes, the shadows, the color, you know, and, um, and maybe a normal person, not, not a normal person, but a, a civilian, somebody who doesn't do art, uh, they might not get it, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I've, I've got a really wonderful photo of the, uh, uh Eiffel tower bathroom. Um, it's ah. got this insanely in- intense red orange tile, you know? So, I mean, wow. I'll, I'll just take like random photos everywhere, you know, it's like, Hey, look at this garbage can. It's amazing. Oh man. Are there some interesting paintings that, you know, maybe you want to highlight? Yeah. So there's a couple of pictures I wanted to just point you to. And then if you want to discuss them, fine. If not, that's fine. Uh, one is called Warhol's beach, which is a recent plein air painting. Okay. I was invited. I was invited with some artists to have access to Andy Warhol's, uh, former property of his out in Montauk. Oh, wow. And so those are some of the other artists that are painting, and, and I painted that. So I thought that's an example of some plein air painting that I did. I think that's the only plein air painting that I gave you. The other painting I want to point you to is the one that's called Tarshak, because I think this is a bit of the granddaddy of these paintings as well. Mm-hmm. This is called Tarshak. Now, you'll see this is the same shack that I've painted in uh, certainly the one that's called Shack, it's the same the same building. Mm-hmm. But at the time I painted this, I think this came first actually. I had been reading about Donald Sultan, the artist, and how he had used tar. He would use tar as a painting medium, and so I put tar on this. I covered an old painting with tar. It had dried, and then I decided, well, look, it's a black surface. Let's try and paint on top of it. But this painting the mineral spirits or something reacted with the tar mm-hmm. and it altered the colors. And that's why this painting has this sort of Andrew Wyeth tonality to it. Mm-hmm. So I thought you might find that interesting. Yeah. Super interesting, you know? And, and again, it, it seems like that kind of sense of like exploration is something that's definitely alive, you know, in terms of the, the work that you make, you know, in terms of yeah. seeing how each one is going to be like this unique thing. Yeah. Yeah. This might be an excellent time to talk a little bit about your current exhibition. So why don't you give us all the details? Where is it at? How many paintings are there? What can what can people expect who are going to go check it out? The show is called Prolonged Perception, Recent Paintings by Doug Reyna. And it opened uh, April 7th and runs through to May 22nd at Gallery North, which is in Setauket, New York. I felt like the director... Like, you know how George Martin was the music producer to the Beatles? Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about this director. I get along well with him. I like him a lot. And he's, 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 he's relatively new. He's only been there a couple of years. But, you know, he, he picked up on these, these paintings that I was doing on the black. And, and that's what he wanted the show to be. And anytime I would deviate a little bit, 
mm-hmm. he would he would gently say, well, I don't know if that really fits in, you know. Mm-hmm. And Dave, I don't know if you've ever uh, had a show deadline upon you where you need to make sure you fill up the gallery with, the, you know, somewhere between 35 and 40 paintings you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I would, you know what that's like, right? Sure, that's sure. Intense. No, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're talking to a version of Doug Rayner that has just come off of like about a year of solid painting. And again, I think that's so exciting, you know, kind of, I know that sounds silly, but I mean, like to kind of get back to some semblance of normal after the pandemic, after yeah. probably all this time to kind of focus and make a lot of work, I, I would imagine it's got to be really awesome to be able to actually have people come to an opening and, you know, and see the work in person. I'm oh, sh- yeah, Dave. Yeah. I was so lucky because uh, the COVID uh, situation had had really eased up enough for people to feel comfortable to come out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was a little nervous because I was certainly kissing and hugging a lot of people. We had a packed crowd since uh, April 7th, the opening. I think I've sold 11 of these works. Oh, wow. Awesome. Nice work. Right? Yeah. I mean, again, that's yeah. always a great feeling, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the other things that artists are always kind of going through. You know, they're just kind of making work in this, you know, not always isolated, but a lot of artists are, you know, which is, which is kind of interesting. I think that's why, you know, social media is so big, but you know, we're just making, making, making. And then, you know, there's kind of like this, this payoff to have it out there, you know, people coming up to you, talking to you about the meanings of your paintings. And you're like, yeah, I guess I could see that. You know, I I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So again, super fascinating. Well, that's awesome. I will I will say this though, Dave. This was really the first time this audience. Now this is this is my community. This is my home field gallery, basically. Mm-hmm. And for them, this was really the first time that they've ever seen a body of my work that is cohesive like this. Mm-hmm. I have never had a solo show at this gallery. I've been in group shows. I think it changed their opinion of of me, of of how I think and what and what I'm capable of. I think I really. I showed them something that um, they appreciated a lot and really made me feel quite, quite special. Well, and it's got to be awesome, too, to kind of, you know, move on from some of the other work that you're making, you know, after kind of pursuing it this way to essentially have it pay off. You know, I mean, again, it's yeah, it's super awesome. Well, now that this work is done, are there any other things that are on the horizon that you're excited about? One is just an interesting thing that I, I included in the paintings that I sent you that I do, um, which is I paint on cigar boxes. Mm-hmm. And that one that's called Coffee Patrol is an example of that, where I, I close up the box and I, I glue it closed and I keep the paper border as the frame and the box gets hung on the wall. And they, they go over really well. They're not that expensive. And I mention it only because I, I'm surprised no one else has has stolen that from me or done that. I mean, I, I shouldn't say stolen, but I, I got the idea from Corn, who actually would take the lids off the boxes and just paint over everything and give them as gifts. Mm-hmm. And so this is, I just thought it was an interesting thing that you might get a kick out of. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is, so, so the Gallery North show is going till May 22nd. And after that, I have, I have a couple of things happening. One is I've donated a piece that is in the Artists for Ukraine charity that Eric Fischel and April Gornick have put together. They, they, have, they have something called the church, which is a, a church that they've converted into an art center, a wonderful place out in Sag Harbor, New York. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, um, uh, I'm part of this uh, online auction that is going on right now to raise money to help support uh, the Ukraine. So that's exciting. And then uh, there's going to be a show at a lovely gallery called William Reese Gallery in Jamesport, New York, July 16th. It opens and I'm, it's a group show, but one of the artists in it is also going to be my, my son who does abstract paintings. Oh, wow. So that's, that's really cool. That, yeah. It makes it really special. Dev, Devin Reyna, he's on Instagram and he's, he's just terrific. Awesome. And I'm, I'm really proud of him. Yeah. He's a Parson, uh, Parson graduate. And so he actually can talk about his work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, no. knows how to do all that. <laughs> well, there's there's a casualness that I love about studio chats, which is why you know I, I enjoyed having you on so much today. Uh, and and again, so everybody can kind of check out your work at, at dougreyna.com. Yes. Are you are you pretty active with your Instagram and and you know throwing stuff out there all the time? 
yeah, that's a good place for people to see me. And I have I have a, a presence on Facebook. They're welcome to find me there as well. And and what's your handle there? Is it just Doug Reyna at, on Instagram? Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, um, again, I, I know a lot. It seems like it's you go through a lot in an hour, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just, you know, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to submit your work. It was a, a treat to kind of talk to you and, and I'm excited to share share our chat. You know, it's been a lot of fun talking about these really lovely paintings. I hope people uh, follow you and check it out. And obviously that show runs to, to May 22nd. So I hope people get to go check it out in person. Oh, I do too. And listen, Dave, thank you so much for for doing this with me. I'm just tickled. I'm, I'm honored. And a lot of these paintings that are in this current show were made while listening to Studio Break. Oh, nice. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed a lot of the interviews. And one of my favorite ones was the one you did with Mitchell Johnson, who I, I, I am uh, interested in very much. Absolutely. You know, wonderful painter as well. So good, good yeah. company. <laughs> a fellow, a fellow architectural painter. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you so much for, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. And thank you very much too. Thanks so much to Doug for joining me. Be sure to check out his work at Gallery North. Once again, that solo exhibition is called Prolonged Perception, recent paintings by Doug Reyna that goes through May 22nd. And once again, that's in Setauket, New York. So go check it out and see the show. I'd also encourage you to check out Doug's website, DougReyna.com. You'll find all sorts of paintings there that are available, other information about his book, and so much more teaching. So once again, DougReyna.com. And of course, be sure to follow him on Facebook, Instagram. All social media is up there, so check it out. Lots of reminders now that we're back doing the podcast. Once again, Steer Break has a brand new website tons of archived interviews there so check it out it looks super great i worked on it really hard for about a month and took so much time so please go check it out easy way to go access interviews check out artists and we got a lot of great ones which is what led me into deciding i want to juror the new 2022 studio break student competition so if you're listening you're a student you're completing your degree or in the process of that or just graduated last year you can apply to this competition once again it's open to all undergraduate ba bfa and ma mfa candidates and or graduates once again i'll be selecting five undergraduate five graduates for a total of 10 so super excited to feature your work on an upcoming episode of the podcast and of course on the website with so many other great artists if you want to apply go to studiobreak.com look for the competition link and it's got all the information there all you have to do is submit a small fee send an email with all of your information and you are done so i'm excited to again hopefully feature your work on the podcast go there and check it out and of course spread the word if you know some other artists that should be applying and they want to get their work out there they just had a show and they want to expand their audience please share the info and of course obviously if you've got any students that should be applying please encourage them to do so please remember you can subscribe to the podcast so please be sure and do that i do recommend you check out spotify if you haven't there's a great preview of the artwork along with new interviews. So if you're subscribed there, you can kind of see what kind of artwork it is. And of course, that'll kind of pull you in a little bit. We are, of course, on Apple as well. So be sure to subscribe there too. And of course, you can find us in social media. So be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Music for today's podcast is by Golden Shadow, which features myself on guitar, Ben Cohan on drums and vocals, and Brett Beery on bass, vocals, and production. We're really excited to share this recent EP that we put out last weekend. It's entitled Lawn Dreams with five songs. We've been working on it for months and months, and if you might recall, we did have a podcast last August where we talked all about this process of working remotely during the pandemic, starting this band, and all these songs that we've been working on. If you want to check out that podcast, it's episode 261 from 2021. And of course, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Golden Shadow Band. And once again, that link for the EP on Bandcamp is right there in the bio. So please click that link and give it a listen. I would note too that if you want to follow Ben on Instagram, check out some of his paintings. That's M. Ben Cohen Studio. And of course, if you want to check out some of Brett Beery's albums, he's also on Instagram at Brett Beery. There's links right there in their bio on Instagram. And of course, once again, you can find my work 
on the same website now, Studio Break. David Linaway is right there, so you can check out some of my work. And, of course, follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at David Linaway. And, of course, say hello if you enjoyed today's episode. It's so nice to hear from listeners. And I love little anecdotes about Doug working on all these paintings. Uh, listen to Studio Break during the pandemic. So, again, really excited that we can have this out there for artists to listen to and you know keep things going keep things fresh in the studio get you thinking while you're working away making your great work if you enjoy the episodes or any episodes once again give us a shout out at studio underscore break or at david linaway all right once again really hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as i did we'll talk to you real soon